This is the Get Out of Here Baldy Podcast, episode 68, October 24th, 2023. This week's Baldy of the Week is Dante Hall, former Kansas City Chiefs player and soon to be inducted into the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. He was a wide receiver and a return specialist in the special teams. He was nicknamed the Human Joystick and the X-Factor for all of his exciting plays, especially in kickoff returns and punt returns. This day in history, October 24th, 1929, was Black Thursday. It was this day when panic gripped the Wall Street stock market in New York. It was known to be Black Thursday, but far worse was to come as the Great Depression became a reality. We talk about the messages at Wyatt Park last Sunday from James 3, and also at Harvest from Exodus chapter 9. Thanks for joining us again, friends, and now it's time to go get this bread. They're Ben and Aaron, and they love sharing about their love for Jesus and food covered in cheeses. Weird news, history, sports regaled from a generation raised playing Oregon Trail. National celebrations almost every day. There's only one thing I have to say. Don't you point or stare at their lack of hair. Yes, they're follically challenged, so sing along with the biblical Baldy Ballad. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. If you don't know what I mean, read 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. If you don't know what I mean, if you don't know what I mean, come and take a listen to your two bald kings. What's up, Baldy buddies, and welcome to episode 62 of the Get Out of Here Baldy podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Michaud, and I'm joined by, as always, Pastor Ben Hitzfield, my Baldy brother. Yes. How you doing, my friend? Doing good. We are uh, different time and different location recording this, so for those of you that don't know, usually we record on Tuesdays, and my schedule's a little bit different this week, so thank you for your flexibility of moving it to Monday morning, 8.30. Both. Oh, I'm thinking this is your day off. I, I thought about that well, after. No, that's all right. No, I mean, this is this is more of like a day off kind of activity for me anyways. So <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't necessarily do this for work. I just enjoy hanging out with you. <laughs> oh, all right. Here we go. <laughs> baldy buddy. So I, I think you'll like this one, our Baldy of the Week. Mm-hmm. So I was reading, I saw in the headlines that the Chiefs were inducting into their ring of honor yeah. uh, Dante Hall. <clears throat> and so uh, Damian Dante Hall is a former American football wide receiver and return specialist who played nine seasons in the National Football League. He is nicknamed the human joystick and the X Factor. Yes. He was a fifth round draft pick out of Texas A&M by the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2000 NFL draft. Mm-hmm. He played for the Chiefs for seven years before being traded to the St. Louis Rams in t- 2007. Mm. He was ranked the 10th greatest return specialist in the NFL history on the NFL's network top 10 return aces and he'll be inducted into the Kansas City Chiefs Ring of Honor. So did you do you remember watching that was like late high school for us. Uh, do you remember yeah. watching Dante Hall? Yeah, and part of it is because 
there are so few moments in my Chiefs fanhood prior to Mahomes that was actually joyful and fun to watch. And and Dante Hall represents one of those uh, short periods of time where it was exciting. And uh, and it, they called him the human joystick because he was this little, small, shifty. Uh, that's probably the best word to say. He was hard to get a hold of. He was hard to see because he was smaller than the other blockers that that had that were blocking for him. And he, yeah, he was just electrifying uh, as, as a player. And anytime opposing teams had to punt or do a kick return or do it do the kickoff, um, they just knew that there was a chance that Dante would take it back to the house. It was fun. I was, I went back and was watching some highlights and he just, yeah. he makes very athletic people it's look amazing. not athletic, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. Um, Cause he, he did, he was a shifty probably is a, a great, great word. And I think, yeah. I mean, again, he was top 10 and that's probably because of longevity. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, there's really those couple of years where he was just, I mean, he was like mm. I, one of the top highlight reels in the NFL, and then after that, he was kind of more again a more more average, I guess, as mm. a kick returner. I think if he had had a few yeah. more years of longevity, yeah, um, they'd be talking about him a little bit more. I think so because uh, the only guy I think that like I remember maybe having a more significant impact on the kick game is like Devin Hester. Devin Hester was one. He was another yeah, big one. I'm trying to think, did Deion Sanders do some? Uh, he did as well for a little bit uh, yeah but he was just kind of um, known just for being a great athlete all over the field though so not necessarily just the special teams i guess no well and he had his little stint where he played some wide receiver too i think because um, mm. why not why not play both sides of the ball why not play two yeah. sports at once why yeah, not right dion dion sanders uh but so dante hall if you don't remember dante hall again i think that i think he's just it was special to me to see him coming up because i just i remember that high school period, yeah. it was yeah. And you're right. The Chiefs didn't. I mean, we didn't. We had some good teams, but nothing ever great. And so yeah. it was like he gave us a little bit of something to watch for. It's true and, and look forward to. Um, yeah, really. Before Mahomes, if we made it to the playoffs, we could pretty much count on exiting in the first round of the Colts or something like that. <laughs> God, who was the kicker that was like always missing in the playoffs? Oh gosh, was it like? Um, was it back in the 90s? Yeah, I want to say like Nick Lowry. Was that his name? Could have been. Yeah, there was some some heartbreaking Yeah, he was moments. a kicker for okay. the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. Wow. I just, yeah, I remember there were a few a few years where we had like really good teams. And then it was like mm -hmm. that first, like some first round exits that were just tough to swallow. Oh, it was tough, yeah. Um, now it, now it's yeah. even tougher to exit later on in the playoffs. So, But it's it's fun to be there, so. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I know that we are enjoying a sweet, sweet season. <laughs> it is. And we looked pretty good against the Chargers. I mean, we yeah. stalled out on offense yesterday, but yeah, defense um, really defense picked up in the second, second half. Second half was mm -hmm. legit. Mm -hmm. So That's good. Anyway, Dante Hall. Anyway, thanks, buddy, for yeah. the memories for sure. Mm. Um, this day in history, we're going to do uh, Thursday, October twenty fourth, nineteen twenty nine. Black Thursday. Oh, man. Um, so a record 12,894,650 shares were sold on this day as panic gripped Wall Street stock market in New York. It has become no, known as Black Thursday, but far worse was to come. On October 28th, 
Mm. The market went into a free fall with losses as, hard, as far as $5 billion being reported. Yikes. The next day, Black Tuesday, prices completely collapsed amid panic selling, triggering losses between 10 and $15 billion, mm. and millions of Americans saw their life savings disappeared. Prices continued to drop, leading to a staggering $30 billion by mid-November, and the market hit rock bottom on November 23rd after the prices began to stabilize, meaning, this was the, uh, meaning the last of the 1929 Wall Street crash was over. But it took 23 years for the market to recover. Um, and so all this right, came after a huge economic boom enjoyed during the Roaring Twenties and the Jazz Age. Uh, time of spend, 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 bolstered by easy credit schemes and widespread borrowing by consumers, kind of a live live now, pay later uh, mentality. Um, and brokers were buying shares on margin, meaning they're using borrowed money to buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you read that story, do you think we've learned our lesson? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, we could point a lot of fingers at politicians, but the politicians just represent... <laughs> <laughs> the people that send them to Congress. And so it's no no wonder that the same issues that everyday Americans have, our elected officials, uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, seem to struggle with as well. <laughs> Passing yeah, a budget. And not- it's, so in- it's so interesting. <laughs> and it's I think a lot of it's rooted in this idea of having the appearance of wealth. And I'm sure, again, when people are taking out a bunch of money on credit, there's a bunch of people making a ton of money on interest. So yeah. a lot of those people don't have a vested interest in doing what's good for for everyone. But I think what drives, like you said, the consumers at a base level or, or voters is yeah. this idea of the appearance of wealth, even if it's un, unsustainable. Yeah. And what, what's the what's the trap there? And what are some either biblical wisdom that you might like would point to us to say, hey, we we got to avoid this line of thinking. The problem with wealth is is not wealth in and of itself, but it's our um, our all out passion and pursuit of wealth that um because we think it makes us happy we think that possessions and money are um sort of the key to fixing things in our life and for for those who well i mean just here in america if you're not a millionaire you're still rich compared to the rest of the world you know even if you're if you're not even in the six figure digits as far as income you're still very very wealthy compared to people around the world and We've just come to see that all across society, whether billionaire or middle class, um, and even those in, in, you know, lower than middle class, we still have so much and we're not happy. We're not satisfied. We're not content. And so uh, chasing wealth is really just a, Mm. uh, it's an endless, it's an endless pursuit with very little um, that can sustain us for the long haul. It's going to let us down at some point. I got that little picture um, up there of this guy in this like really nice suit. He's got like this beautiful car, and on there has a sign that says "One hundred dollars will buy this car. Must have cash. Lost all on the stock market." And I think it's that reminder of a lot of these things that we chase, and again, that appearance of wealth, like. we we ascribe like status symbols or whatever to these things, but ultimately they don't actually do us any real good when things get 
difficult. Like you yeah. can't eat an Escalade. That's just not gonna <laughs> right. That's it's not gonna feed your kids. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting. Um, I don't know. I like. I'm not a huge fan of Dave Ramsey, but for some reason he keeps showing up on my like Facebook feed recently. Yeah. But it's just, it's just interesting because most yeah. of the time that's what he's saying is like, don't yeah. chase. And th- th- those are things I can agree with him on, sure. like not chasing these things that don't actually really add, or have any true value add to your life other than making you feel good for some reason. Yeah. Um, and again, there might be a little room for that in life, but when we as a society are like mortgaging our future yeah. and our kids and our grandkids' future just for that, um, I think it's very short-sighted. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that the Bible and even a lot of tr- just tribal societies in general around the world would encourage us to think about is is not just ourselves, mm-hmm. but our community, one, our community that's currently around us, but also yeah. our legacy as far as our kids and our grandkids. And yeah. um, again, I mean, Ecclesiastes has those dark moments that we looked at where he's like, sure. well, your grandkids are going to squander it anyway, I guess. But yeah. um, <laughs> I think I, I think that was, again, just not putting your, your hope in those things. Yeah, uh, true. But uh, so I, I think just even thinking beyond ourselves when it comes to economics and how we sp- uh, spend uh, our resources, thinking of like what's good for a society as a whole. Um, and again, that's that's tough because I mean, if you got wealthy people, banks again, you can make a lot of money on interest. But if you're doing so by putting people who don't have resources in a very precarious position and encouraging them to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's going to come home to roost for everybody, sure. which is what these moments, I, I mean, we had yeah. uh, one in, what was it, back in 2009, too, a yeah. similar idea. But right. it, but again, 1929 just reminds us that that's like, it's just not... It's not good for anybody because now all everybody who was supposedly saving mm. and investing yeah. even right because of some of these decisions were uh, th- they thought they were making wise decisions and they lost everything as well That's and true. so just thinking uh, in a community way uh, mm. both in in the present but also I think generations down the line because um, we can keep kicking that can down the road but somebody's going to have to pay the piper. That's true. One of the words that comes to mind when I think of the Great Depression and even what happened in 2008, 2009 is the word apocalypse. Apocalypse is just revelation and unveiling of what's really there. When you pull back the, the mask and, and you see behind the stuff that looks good on the outside, you find greed and envy and selfishness and all all the sorts <laughs> working together. So. Um, yeah. Oh, that's good. You always like I love it. You start saying these things, and it reminds like I want to rewrite certain <laughs> biblical passages for our own context. I love this. You just you reminded me of Ezekiel when mm. it's like you get that tour of the temple, yeah, and it's like all oh, the yeah. creepy but like unclean things are crawling on the walls, yeah. and it's like you get, it's right. again you get the, really a vision what of what's really going on for sure. Like it had the for appearance sure. of religious whatever, yeah. but it was truly just a disgusting thing in God's sight. And a similar thing, I think like we can have the appearance of what looks really good, but if you had that lens, mm, if you will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what you'd see is like poverty everywhere. Sure. Um, and, and keeping that in mind. That's good. Yeah. I like that. And then COVID, like that's another apocalypse right there. And so the question is, <laughs> like what did that reveal in us? And it's not just, I mean, it's easy for me to, to point to the people I disagreed with and say this is what it revealed in them. But I've been asking this the last year. What did, what did COVID, what did that time period reveal in me 
um, kind of putting the mirror inside. And, and there was a lot of disgusting things there that I've had to repent for. And I've mm. had to, um, just come to, come to grips with. And, and here's the thing is like, I think all, all of us, <laughs> like all of us in real time, we, we were sort of going through those, those difficulties. And I think we all kind of had, had our worst version at, at different times, just speaking about the 2020 apocalypse that we went through that unveiling of, of what was below the surface when we were, you know, having to make these decisions in real time, decide what's true and what's false, and then to to deal with it on social media. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 1918 had nothing on uh, 2020 when it comes to <laughs> that kind of kind of stuff. So, anyways. no, you think panic was widespread? <laughs> like good night. What would have happened? Mm. So anyway, there's. I mean, I'm sorry, it went a little dark this That's week, right. but I don't know. Yeah. It just came up there. I thought sure. it was worth a, a discussion. Okay. Um, you preached on James three thirteen through eighteen. Yeah. Wisdom, wisdom, <laughs> wisdom from above. Yeah. And so, um, I before I, I mean, I was going to ask you some questions as to just move through the text here a little bit. But sure. is there anything that you just want to unpack for us up front? Before it, yeah. I start firing questions at you, I had to go back to my uh, the the first message that I preached in the Ecclesiastes series that, that we did in Lent because that was uh, talking about uh, about wisdom and um, and so uh, yeah I sort of went back to that and grabbed out that quote from Precept Austin the website mm-hmm. how wisdom is uh, the character of God in the many practical affairs of life and so I, I kind of mm-hmm. anchored onto that definition again in the message. But um, yeah, so that kind of brought me back, um, James 3 kind of brought me back to Ecclesiastes. And um, Becca said something yesterday that she she thought that this was like James's, I mean, I assume he wrote, James wrote this before Paul had a chance to write his Galatians Fruits of the Spirit. So, you know, but th- this sounds like James is like Fruits of the Spirit moment, you know, because there's like mm-hmm. nine attributes in I think verse 17 or something like that of, of wisdom that comes from above. But we'll, we could talk about that. I think that's one of your questions later on. So, um, oh, yeah. Anyways, that's awesome. Well, sweet. But yeah, so like again, your opening point there was, uh, and I think in verse 13, he kind of hits this idea of, um, you know, who is wise and understanding among you? Mm. Um, and uh, do you think this links, uh, this is a side question. You think this yeah. links back to the teaching discussion a little bit too, like how they evaluate mm-hmm. who to listen to maybe? Yeah, I think so. Because, um, you know, James has the caution about not many of you should aspire to be teachers. And I assume when he's talking, like he's probably talking about more of like the teaching authority within the, the, the Christian congregation. Yeah. And, and it makes me wonder, and we kind of talked a little bit about this last week, kind of offline, was did that have to do with maybe there were teachers in the Christian communities who they love to talk, and they could get up and give a good sermon, but after preaching the gospel one day, they would go and, and spew disgusting things from their tongue the next day, you know? So, part yeah. of me wonders if, the, I mean, it's got to be connected. It's, it's, I mean, really in that same general area. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So, like that, and that, it's funny. This comes up a lot. I think, like, because I'm studying Peter or some of the women at our church are studying. So, I'd, I've uh, been talking to the leaders about prepping for that. And a similar thing. It was like he has said, evaluate. He like warns that false teachers are coming and talks about evaluating their lives. And I mm-hmm. felt like, oh man, J- this is kind of what James is hitting at, right? He's, yeah. He ta- he ties this idea of wisdom or how do I evaluate, evaluate who's wise by looking at someone's conduct and works. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so yeah. why and why is that so important? To t- he ties it to like the good life, right? Which Proverbs yeah. kind of does. Sure. Um, even Ecclesiastes, I think, would suggest this. And so not associating wisdom with like intelligence or like the bookish, like old guy with the beard, right. but this idea of yeah. the ability to build a life founded on on godliness and and conduct and good works in the world. Why is that so important? The it, it would seem like um, I'm, I, I kind of made a connection with the faith and works discussion with how the works are a byproduct of the faith. You know, faith connects mm-hmm. us to Jesus, and then through through that faith, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and and so I sort of have this this idea that as James says that wisdom uh, basically is proven by these deeds done in in humility. And so, in in my my thought is like uh, going back to that idea that faith is what connects us to Jesus, and when we're connected to Jesus, then we are given the ability to to act in wisdom that comes from above. It's like downloaded into our spirit. <laughs> so it's it, it we have the ability then to live with God's character, um, which we would call wisdom, because of our connection to to Jesus and. Um, and then, of course, um, like I said, you could you could look at what James says in verse seventeen later on as sort of the specific fruits of that wisdom that that are evident can be evident in our life when we're connected to Jesus. Well, maybe that like that's why I, I love that connection is because if again if I were going to make a portrait of who the Bible says is wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they yeah. look like? And so, oh, yeah. I, and that, and that's where I sure. love the Proverbs craftsman imagery. And so, there, there is maybe that a kind of a sense of a seasoned mm. person. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe like linking up with this fruitfulness that's coming, we'd have yeah. the, again, the, the the farmer who's worked hard with his life, like wisely, like created, yeah. um, this this place or this garden where mm. his family and him can and flourish. Um, and there's this uh, again. It's just like what the Bible would call the the good life is sure. a way of so that is a wise uh, p- uh, person. Yeah. And so I like that portrait. Um, maybe maybe it comes out in James as as kind of a wise old farmer. Yeah, and you know I think one of the things that that James is doing not only is he sort of pulling unveiling a little bit of the deception from the leaders in the church who were wise, who were, were called wise, but then their tongues didn't show the fruit of wisdom. I think also what he wants the common people to understand is that you you can be wise. Like, you don't have to have the, the title yeah. of teacher or rabbi. You can be wise. And so then that question of who is wise and understanding among you, uh, I went to Proverbs 9.10, and in that, you have the idea of that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge mm. of the Holy One is understanding. So, I wonder, James is just like a walking, talking Proverbs, man. He just, yeah. It's like he was steeped in the book of Proverbs, I think, and so, so much of that comes out in what he says. And so, to be wise, yeah, to the common person isn't necessarily having the the prestige, and, and it doesn't always come with um, reputation, but it comes through... Uh, um, really putting first things first, and that's the fear of the Lord. Amen. So, uh, yeah, you kind of started already to hint this in, in some of the um, the speech aspect, mm. but James in 15 through 16, or 14 through 16, really unpacks uh, this idea of uh, an earthly, what he calls earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic yeah. kind of wisdom. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. So it paid a portrait of that for us. Mm. Yeah. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Mm. That's what James basically says. This is the fruit of, and he calls it, um, let's see here. This isn't the wisdom that comes from above. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And then he, he goes on to say, like, like you had mentioned, you know, he says it's earthly, it's, it's not religious, it's demonic. And then he says, where you find these behaviors, you will find disorder uh, and, and evil practices of all kinds. So it's mm. like the, the root of sin, in a sense, is what James is saying. It's interesting when you, like, if I think of that in the context of, again, someone who's in the a position of a teaching authority in the mm. church. Yeah. Like how there have been seasons that where I feel like a lot of, of what I hear from different preachers or teachers is how that group is wrong or, and uh, like, so like you have that tearing down, which seems like it's probably rooted in, in jealousy. Mm. Um, oh, and sure. then yeah. the uh, associated with that, that would mean I or our tribe is right. And you want to build your own little kingdom there, selfish amb- ambition. Yep. And uh, like, if you hear circles where those two things are prominent, we sh- I guess we shouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden under, under, uh, out of that comes um, some of these other sinful practices. So sure. if we see different forms of abuse in the church or whatever, it's like yeah. that. If we take James seriously, mm-hmm. when we see those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, what seems to be again je- jealousy or the tearing down of uh, others, um, and then the the pursuit of building our own little kingdoms. W- out of that, the, like you said, the fruit of that's going to probably be tons of other yeah. um, mm. disorder and evil and every vile practice. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know that that would be good for us to stop and check and go if we're falling prey to that yeah. um, rather yeah. than edifying people with the good news of the gospel and trying to create unity within the body of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and again, we've got to we got to stick to an, uh, uh, the the gospel and not prostitute that. But yeah. um, there's a lot of times I think we we go well beyond that. And for sure, we should. I, I don't know if that's our attitude. It shouldn't be. A, James would suggest we shouldn't be surprised. Right. Yeah, when we see those practices. And calling it demonic is kind of a wake up call to us as well. You Yikes! Because <laughs> like earthly, unspiritual, it's like not so hard. Like they're gonna slap you at that third one. Yeah. All right, um, that's for sure. Nice. But well, let's talk about the flip side then, because he, mm-hmm. he does. Because mm-hmm. hey, wisdom from above, which yeah. is accessible. Yeah. Um, you, I, I didn't, I hadn't connected the 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 fruits there, but like, go ahead yeah. and unpack some of those for us. You said there's nine. Yeah, that's what Beck had counted. Now, I am, let me see, let me open up my NIV here. Let's see here. I got eight. Let's see. And it could be. Yeah, I don't know. Becca may have just done a quick little James. That would be, it would be interesting though. So James, I mean, I think he, this is probably one of the earliest New Testament books here. So he probably would have written this before Paul and had no idea that Paul wrote what he wrote to the Galatians, I would imagine. But so, but verse 17, like you could preach, you could preach a a sermon series, like a, like a seven or eight week sermon series. Sure. Uh, You know, the wisdom that comes from above is first of all, pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, 
full of mercy and then and then and good fruit and so that's like an all-encompassing it's just full of good fruit like yes <laughs> what god wants to grow in our life and then impartial and sincere is verse 17 it just packs a punch that's the wisdom that comes from from above um but yeah it's just like like I, like I mentioned yesterday in, in the message just so you could just sit down with that and think about that and and some of those words like it sounds good but then like submissive I don't know if I, hmm. I don't know if like who thinks that submissive is, is like <laughs> that, do, that doesn't carry like the best connotation for us as, as Americans or, you know, I, I don't know. We just, we would rather, you know, only maybe it's submissive sort of, there, there's certain contexts that, that would make, just make us feel weak and emasculated and, you know, <laughs> so like, what And I think when you think of their context too, we've been talking a little bit about it. If they are yeah. under, persecution oppressive regime Mm -hmm. and that temptation for maybe these teachers to incite violence or rioting like that he's really like that uh, it almost becomes harder for us to swallow when you think about their context Context. we would be like why why would you do that yeah um but it's fascinating to me how often the bible calls people (laughs) in that position yeah to represent Jesus's brand of love in a very radical way, yeah. and that is—I mean, yeah. that's because he talks to slaves and 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 um, uh, servants in the same yeah. manner, and you know, and then while calling the the masters to uh, to be wise and, and and careful in how they treat their their servants. Yeah. So yeah, you do find that in a lot of circumstances, and then Peter talks about it to his followers as well. Being, uh, and of course, of course, Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. <laughs> yeah. Dang it. <laughs> what What is so? I've got uh, so the, I'm in the ESV right here. It's this uh, yeah. pure, peaceable, gentle. What's the fourth one? All right. Yours? Let's see here. Seventeen. Um, pure. Peace loving, considerate, and then submissive. Oh, submissive. Okay. My, they translate it here open to reason. Open to reason. I wonder what Greek word that is. That's interesting. I don't know. I, but I was like, that sounds kind of good. Because, I mean, talk about uh, something that yeah. I think uh, you you don't see, like you said, flying around on, on social yeah. media is right. people who are like open to like having a, a reasonable conversation, sure. right? <laughs> sure. Like w- the people we like, or, yeah. like the clicks that people share with me are people who yeah. are pretty dead set on that. that yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. In their opinion or sure. whatever. Sure. Um, so that's an interesting, that that might put a little different flavor on it. That's good. Um, I love it. But I like, I, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, this would be, I think a great place to apply yeah. this text would be to go to your social mm-hmm. media and, mm-hmm. and the things that you're feeding yourself on. Ask yeah, are they yeah? Are they pure? Are they peaceable? Are they Man. gentle? Open to reason? Full of mercy? Mm. Impart? Are they impartial and sincere? Wow. Yeah. I, I. Gosh. If that's if that's not a good filter for. Yeah. Hmm. We I can just it. sit and chew on that for a bit. There you go. But wisdom, wisdom from above. Uh, so thanks for continuing to preach on James. Man, you're making me like wish it, uh, we might have to get that on our schedule. You're at gonna some have point to just soon. It's a great book. Dust it off. There you go. I love um, it. <laughs> so wisdom from above. Build the good life, folks. That's right. That's right. Um, we were in Exodus uh, nine, so the back half mm. of the plagues, uh, so six through nine. Yep. And uh, again, David Parrish preached for us. Mm. Uh, I always love him. He's got such a dry sense of humor, and such a, he's a fun guy. Yeah. Um, 
But so he kind of went back and was, again, the last two weeks really have looking at major themes through the gotcha. whole uh, plague account. Yep. And he talked again a little bit about plagues as an education, right? Part of this is not yeah. just uh, judgment for wrongdoing. I mean, it is that, but it's not just that. Yeah. That a lot of this is, and he took it all the way back, I think it was chapter three or four, where um, like basically he, he said, Pharaoh says, who, who is Yahweh? So this is going to be an education, on who Yahweh is, yeah. and I, and he pointed out that that's true for for Pharaoh himself. It's true for all of Egypt, but it's also true for the Israelites as they mm-hmm. as they're seeing this unfold. They're getting an education on who God is, and so I was just kind of wrestling with this uh, yesterday, and then into this morning. Like, how does God's judgment actually teach us something about who He is? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. I guess. The things that that he judges, the people that he judges, and what they do, um, that might tell us what God mm. values and what what mm. He's against, um, what He wants to stop, and oftentimes that is uh, abuse of of many kinds, abuse mm. of of power, especially kings and emperors and pharaohs who are really they're supposed to be even if even if they weren't God fearers, their position is ordained and granted to them by God. Mm -hmm. And so as such, they're supposed to um, sort of mirror God through how they treat the people. And, and so oftentimes the judgments against whether it's Egypt or um, Israel or the surrounding nations, it's because the, the Kings really, yeah, the Kings and and those in power um, have just instituted, and not just the Kings, but their, their henchmen, the people on the ground level who are, who are enforcing these uh, brutal practices. Um, So yeah, it kind of gives us an idea about what, what God is, what, what God is for while he's being against (laughs) certain things. (laughs) No, amen. Well, it's not, it's not unlike the, the wisdom piece, right? There's two sides to that coin. Yeah. And I think those when judgment passages can feel difficult to us, I think that's you just gave people a really good framework mm. uh, to kind of what's the reverse there. Like as he as he does uh, judge something, it means that he was hoping and looking for you know something different. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's like you said, I think we get a picture of that from the Exodus back in in Genesis when Israel and Egypt are working together and God's blessing his people and that's spilling over into Egypt and everybody yeah. was surviving a famine. Sure. We do have a little picture of that and that's when that oppression um, and fear it starts dictating what goes on that it goes kind of wrong. Mm. Um and I too, I think it just the other thing uh, it shows in the particular he 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 didn't tie it specifically, but he had mentioned um, in some of these things how really he's he's establishing all the Egyptian gods that he's got supremacy over the whole Egyptian system of again in this case slavery or oppression of subjecting people right he's just he's elevating himself uh, above that and saying mm. you know what I am. I'm su- superior to that. And yeah. I think that's one of those things that we also forget when God does that, when he crushes our idols, mm. it's it's not just he's he's like, I'm better than that. He's right. also like, he's, he's inviting us to step into something that's bigger and better than what we're serving. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and giving our good lives point. to. Yep. And so I think, I mean, I think of the star- stock market crash, right? Part of that is yeah. we could look at that and go, 
okay, there's got to be a, a better yeah. a better way of doing this, a Absolutely. better way of life. And I think when those things come crumbling down, mm. um, it is a, it's an invitation to step into true biblical wisdom and true. maybe experience life as God intended it. Mm. And a lot of times we won't give that the time of day unless we watch him bring judgment on, on those things, sure. uh, whether it be our idols or the systems that we create or whatever it might be. Yeah, And so... Right. Um, Again, it's it's yes, he is tearing certain things down, but I think it's because he wants to give us something better. Absolutely, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Um, so he, uh, David, also hit these ideas of, of uh, themes of what he called sending and hardening. So the, the idea of hardening Pharaoh's heart, but he said it's tied to this idea of sending. Uh, God's people out into the wilderness to worship, and that word of worship, uh, a number of teachers mm. as throughout the series has has have talked about. It's also the word to serve. So it's like, oh, which God will you serve? Yeah. And so, really, this I, uh, this question of the hardening of Pharaoh or his resistance isn't just again a question of um justice in the sense of retributive justice, but it's it's really a question of jurisdiction. Mm. In other words, mm-hmm. who does okay. Israel, and really even all humanity, including Egypt, who do they really belong to? Yeah. And so that's one of the things God, as he challenges Pharaoh, is trying to establish is, like, I am the king of the universe, and these people are, are, right. are, are mine, not yeah. yours. Right, right, right. Um, and so how does mm. that framing or that layer, because I really felt it was a good insight from David, help us round out how we understand the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and this kind of clash between Yahweh and Pharaoh? Mm. It makes me think. So we in vespers last night. We read Exodus thirty-three, where um, it's after the tent of meeting is established, and uh, Moses says to God, um, "If you're going to send us from this place, go with us. Um, mm. Otherwise, mm. how will people know that we are distinct? You know." And part of me wonders is that, like, you know, each tribe had their their carved images that they could just pick up and take and move wherever they wanted to move. Um, and, and that would have been like, well, who's your God? Well, this is our, our God. It's a, it's a Ram or so. I don't know. Uh, and so like for, for like now Yahweh, there's no, they, they don't just, they can't just pick up Yahweh at their discretion and say, we're going, you're coming with us. Like Yahweh right. is the one who's, who's like setting things forth and tell, you know, telling them, okay, move now, mm-hmm. go here, go there. And so Moses has this um, like, are you, are you going to go with us or are you just going to hang back over here? You know, so please mm-hmm. go with us, you know? And then, and then from the Isaiah passage is it was Isaiah 45, one through seven. And it's um, the prophet talking to Cyrus and basically saying, you don't acknowledge me, but I'm going to bless you. Um, and, and then basically all of the themes from the old Testament, even into the new Testament was this idea that I am the living God. Um, all things, belong to me all peoples belong to me all times belong to me and so in a in a sense um you know the hardening of pharaoh's heart um i think is something that can happen to people today who uh are just dead set on their own way Mm -hmm. whether that's we would say it's it's another god but oftentimes the idols that we serve are just they're pretty much a shadow of of our own 
inner will basically we just attach our own inner will to certain things and objects and pleasures and pursuits um mm. because you know that's where we think well it's, it's the pursuit of our own happiness again and it's sort of that that wisdom from from below and perhaps we can connect that to to pharaoh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, sir, I think certainly it was David had pointed out this other detail. And I forget which verse it was, but he talked about um, sending the plagues against Pharaoh. Mm. Is like the, if you get into the like literal translation of the text, it's against his heart. Mm. And so yeah. it, the idea that he raised was how did God harden Pharaoh's heart simply by sending the plagues yeah, right that was the thing that hardened sure, him sure and again it sent me back to that i think i shared this when gary preached last week was that sa- the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay sure and it's god does these things these wonders these works yeah and there are people who that melts them sure and they they just they see the beauty of who he is and they submit themselves to him. Yeah. And then for some reason those same those same works will continue to harden and callous other hearts. Yeah. And the issue is not what God is doing in the world. Um, it's it's really again that the, we talked about the four soils or whatever it is. And sure. so I think yeah, yeah. this was just another way of when he pointed that out, I'm going, I think that really helps us understand a more biblical presentation yeah. of how the Bible talks about this. Um, That's a, yeah. As you're saying that, I was thinking, you know, so the, the plagues against Pharaoh, we can understand why Pharaoh's heart was hardened. I mean, it was like his destruction and his own choosing, really. I mean, he, you yeah. know, he hardened his heart and, and didn't let the people go until, until the finale, right? But then, so those saving acts for, for the Israelites, at first, it's like exciting. You're like, we're, we're leaving Egypt, we're going to our homeland, and then it doesn't take long until they're in the promised land where those same saving acts, they begin to question, say, well, did you just bring us out here to kill us, to, to you know, to starve us to death? And uh, so, it's interesting that how even those saving acts, one minute can be a, a moment of praise for us, and then we turn around in, in other circumstances when life is is difficult, and we're like, well, thanks a lot, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. it's not static. Dude, you're not wrong. It's like, what is it? Like, a, the day after they get past the Red Sea, they yeah. sing their songs, and then they check yeah. the canteens. Yeah, right. Right? Exactly. And there's no water, and they're right. like, oh, God, you yeah. abandoned us. It's like, what? Like... <laughs> Fickle, he brought you, know. you this far, maybe he can provide some water. But, and, and that's one of the things we talked about in our sermon discussion afterwards is it's, it's so easy to sit with Pharaoh here, yeah. but the trajectory of the Torah and even mm. the Exodus story, but certainly the Torah as a whole, is that the people of God become this very thing. Yeah. Right, yeah. Moses when he gives, when he speaks in Deuteronomy is yeah. going to say, "You need to circumcise your hearts." Sure, uh, and so it is the people of God who become very much yeah. like like Pharaoh by the end. Which Jesus I, I has think to flee is, to Egypt. <laughs> when you're looking at the yeah. na- uh, narrative arc right. of the whole whole Torah, that's what it's driving towards, right. and this is all kind of a setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, G- oh, Jesus way. has to flee to Egypt for his safety after he's after he's born. You know, his parents have to go there. So, yeah, that's a really fascinating twist there in the story. Oh man! <laughs> well, so that kind of sets it up because Dave's big application was just pointing out with Pharaoh again that the the, the mm-hmm. longer he continued to resist God 
and not be softened by these these wonders and these works. Yeah. Uh, it, our our hearts, when we continue to sin, to rebel, continue to resist, um, it it becomes, I think, uh, again, more hardened, more calloused. I like the word calloused. Calloused, um, I think yeah. Because like, hmm. it reminds that circumcised heart is like that skin that just yeah. builds up over time. Hmm. Um, and I think that what what happens is we, I think we think we'll eventually come around or we give our, ourselves that excuse. Sure. But the likelihood is the longer we experience and the longer we participate in it, the longer mm. we continue to give ourselves over to other things, it really does make repentance more and more difficult. That's true. Uh, how, how, yeah. have, how have you maybe experienced that in your own life or just mm. in pastoral ministry, uh, seen uh, people wrestle with this truth? Yeah, uh, I think there. A part of it is recently I've really come to understand the power of daily confession and daily um, speaking out uh, the the Jesus prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. To to face that every day and and not as not as a way to like like navel gaze but as a way to open myself up to um, just refresh, like it's so freeing. It's so freeing to be able to offer words to God of um, like, I just, I, 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 did, I haven't gotten it right. And then to know with assurance after that, that, that grace is, is such a renewing factor in our lives, but mm-hmm. we can't receive that grace until we make we, we make room for that in our lives, you know. And so, um, a, a big part of I think people's struggles is they hold on to their mistakes, and like condemnation almost becomes a friend to us. I think in some mm-hmm. ways, we we get very comfortable with condemnation because it we play the victim when when we're holding on to condemnation, and mm-hmm. and I think it becomes such a big weight for some people that it's almost like like that like a blanket like a like a weighted blanket you know and even though you know like man this is just really bringing me down there's some where we can just hide underneath it and so just taking that first step for somebody um, whether they've been a christian a long time or maybe they they've haven't even started that journey i think we can get into this this busyness of life and just get comfortable with the sense of guilt and condemnation for our sin um, and, and not daily have sort of that, that flushing out, which I think is just so necessary for every Christian. It's just a daily flushing out, renewing of the mind through confession, through uh, encountering the scriptures, mm-hmm. um, and then also having that, that fellowship with, with believers who are open and honest, um, who are, as, as James says in, in 317, um, impartial and Oh, what was it? Was it authentic or something along those lines? Mm. You know, being surrounded by a community of people who know they're not perfect, um, and so they have room for others who are not perfect but are um, seeking Jesus in their lives. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, at the final point, I think one of the things you're hammering that that is associated with this. Not only do our hearts grow calloused, but because of that, we tend to surround ourselves the longer we're in sin with people who are only encourage it yeah. and not and, and avoid the people True. that would, would challenge us and 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 encourage us to repent and come back into yeah. right standing with God. And I think oh and again we need each other. Yeah, we do. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. cuz we can't do this on our own. And I think right. that's a really good point mm. too is that we just yeah, it, it it tends to be when when we're hanging on to that burden or hiding that burden um 
we will tend to try to, again, we'll go and hang out with people who are comfortable with the dark. Yeah. And that's usually not going to lead us uh, to, to good places for sure. The word, um, the word callous, when, when you say that, it makes me think of, I don't play the, the guitar anymore because mm-hmm. I sold my guitar a few years ago. But when I did play, if, if I hadn't played for a while, my fingers would get really sore because you have to build up those calluses on, on your hands. And then once, once your fingers build up those calluses, you could play the guitar for hours on end and not feel a thing. And so I wonder if part of the callousness of our heart is sort of a protection against against feeling, you know, feeling the raw raw emotions, uh, being open and honest before God and people. That's yeah. not easy. It, that can hurt, um, but it's within that frame when we when we can sort of let uh, let God strip away those layers where we find life and and freedom and that vulnerability. And um, so it's, it feels more comfortable sometimes to let those calluses build up over our heart, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I mean, that, yeah, there's much. I mean, we unpack a lot. It's a that that plague narrative has been fascinating. I got to do Sounds the tenth like yeah. one this this coming week, and so nice. I get to revisit some of these ideas. I've just I've been really wrestling with looking at God's judgment as a gift, and so I think I'm gonna, that's kind of going to be where I land this week. Is nice. How how is it a gift? Yeah. We, I think we look at it as something we don't want to talk about or avoid or minimize sure. with people. Right. And really, I think a right understanding of this account, um, as well as the the biblical narrative as a whole, mm-hmm. would just tell us that actually God's judgment is not something we should av- avoid talking about. But we should be asking how is it reveal His goodness? And so wow. we'll continue to do that this week. I look forward um, to that. So that's this Sunday. So you're preaching this Sunday at Harvest. Yeah, man. Cool. That'll be fun. Awesome. Uh, final thoughts before we land the plane on episode sixty-two. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a good good discussion. Um, been a been a busy weekend here at uh, at Saint Saint Joe. Um, we had a bunch of international teachers uh, come I to the church. I saw the Facebook Saturday. photos. That wow. was awesome. Oh my goodness! I I had really very little to do with <laughs> with that. <laughs> I just showed up and got to witness. It truly was. I told people it was it was one of the most um, one of the most beautiful nights of ministry I've, I've witnessed in mm. you know since since I started doing full time ministry and um, and it just really just came out of left field for 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 a lot of us and then it just took people who just really have huge hearts to say we got to do something and um wow i just love it when the spirit moves um well good on you guys for being stuff. open for the it's ministry that god dropped in your lap so absolutely and i saw you guys been out doing some some boating on the lake there that looks like some good time <laughs> yeah <laughs> so good. we did uh, got my uh, grandfather's boat out uh or awesome. sarah's dad's boat yeah the boy's grandfather um <laughs> So he yeah, he left Thursday, but he he said we could take it out, and we got there, and uh, the battery was dead. But we figured out, oh. like, again, it was just figure out which switches we got to leave off or whatever. But sure. our neighbor was nice enough to hand us a spare battery and said, "Go Sweet. out and enjoy it." So got a good neighbor. Uh, yeah, we got out, and then uh, the Freeds, a family in our church here, had a like yeah. a, a great little fall party, and so we cooked nice. hot dogs and made s'mores and awesome. just enjoyed a beautiful. It was Saturday. Yeah. It was beautiful, man. It was great. So it's just yeah. wonderful. Life, life is good. God is good, and uh, Amen. it's good stuff. And it's good to see my baldy buddy. Always a pleasure. <laughs> well, good to see you too, brother. <laughs> our listeners, our baldy buddies, beware of those bears, folks. Yes, grace and peace out.